Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 68. We're glad you could join us for this midterm check-in with Colby Academy advisors, deans, and friends of the Colby Cast, Celeste Cuellar and Ashley Massey. As usual, they have some great ideas and keen insights for customizing the Colby curriculum, maximizing the time we're given each day, and learning from the mistakes we make along the way. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic, and Colby homeschooling mom to four lads and lasses of middle and high school age. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. I've got some familiar voices back on the Colby cast today, Celeste Goyar and Ashley Massey, along with my co-host Stephen Hayden. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Good to be here. <laughs> Good to have y'all back again. Here we are in sort of the middle-ish part of the semester. Ashley, how you are the Dean of Students in K through eight, right? How have things been going from your perspective for those ages? You know, pretty good. We do have some families who are struggling a little bit. I think that always is something that's kind of a more normal part of the beginning of the school year, right? Any 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 sort of transition. I mean, even just the transition from summer to back in the school year for veteran homeschooling families is always a rough patch, right? I remember when I was homeschooled and just like, really, we have to do this again? You know, it's almost that little (laughs) bit of freedom over summer to kind of have more flexibility. I mean, we say that homeschooling provides a lot of flexibility already, but when it's summer, you know, there's always that rough transition when you start back to school and have to get into um, a normal schedule, routine. You have to learn new processes and ways to do things and new people to interact with and new teachers. And there's so much there. So I think it's a lot of um, right now reassuring parents, give yourself some grace. Uh, give your students some grace, and there is special homeschooling grace for the Lord to grant you at this time. We just have to remember to pray for it, right? Um, Just because there's so much going on. And then just the normal, I think fall is such a busy time as things start up again, and there's sports that are starting and extracurriculars, and then you're getting ready for all of the the holidays and vacations and things like that, that it's, it's a lot to have to switch your mind from summertime to school time. So I think overall, it's start of a new school year is always exciting. I love that time of year and getting new school supplies. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But it can be that time of transition. Sure. It's hard to get your momentum going. Yeah. It's come to a halt or explode tremendously. Yep. Yeah. And to self-motivate, you know, as well, Mm -hmm. that's always a tough one of, of having to find that inner motivation to learn. Um, Although a lot of our students do have that desire to learn, but sometimes when you have more freedom of what you can learn over summer or books to be reading, things like that, having to get back into that schedule can be a little tough. Sure. It seems like it takes longer than I think it should every year. I'm surprised. (laughs) When I I watch my younger boys, it, it always reminds me of trying a new athletic activity where when you start out, you just can't do very much. You just get worn out. So first week, you know, five minutes are done and they're ready to, to be off and running, but, uh, but now they're settling in. So, so that's, that's good. Yeah. It's always building the repetition, right? Then you get, just becomes natural. And I think really it's, um, for adults, those of us that, that work and have vacation, that's what it's like for us when we come Mm. back from vacation Mm. and that's a much shorter break. (laughs) 
but we still, I'm speaking from personal experience here the last few days, it's like, oh, wait, work, what now? And so I think that's the, the same kind of experience. Maybe it would be useful as adults if we think about it more from that perspective for mm-hmm. the kids. They've had a really long vacation <laughs> and they're coming back. Exactly. That's a great yeah. way to put it. Yeah. It's helpful when we can relate. If I were in that position, <laughs> it would take me a little bit of I'm coming to terms with that, maybe longer than I'm thinking it should take. But that's what it, it is what it is there. Yeah. Definitely. What about for the older students, Celeste? I think the biggest thing we always see with Colby for new students coming in, regardless of if they're ninth grade or if they're transfers, they're a little bit shocked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, there's definitely an adjustment period, even for students who have done very well in other environments. Uh, they've taken honors classes. They've been uh, good students. It always makes me think about that scene in Men in Black where they're, you know, Will Smith is talking about being the best of the best of the best, sir, you know, and I thought <laughs> that's sort of how it is sometimes for students coming into Colby fresh that um, they're accustomed to being able to do their work uh, easily for a lot of them. And Colby, although we certainly we offer honors level courses, the idea is still that a lot of our regular courses are really honors mm-hmm. level work. And so yep. um, yes. a lot of those first few weeks of homeschooling or online classes is spent um, either reassuring parents that, yes, this this is normal, <laughs> Colby, right. um, helping them if they're homeschooling parents to understand that they can alter course plans, they can, you know, make modifications, that they're free to do that, and then maybe um, thinking about a realistic course load in online classes, which I tell people is very comparable to being in college. And while some of us might have taken more than, you know, four classes a semester in college, um, that's the normal workload. So, so it's a lot of it is just reassuring parents and then maybe helping them understand that, you know, B's aren't F's. Right. But yeah, big adjustment period, I think, for high school with Colby. Students that have been with us in the earlier grades and come in, they do a lot better. They have a much better expectation and understanding of what's required. I thought it was interesting, Ashley, what you said in the episode where we first met you on the Colby cast, episode 66. You were suggesting that families pick out curricula with the advisor's help and then stick with it for a bit to see how things unfold. So thinking back to my own experience, there there was certainly that tendency to think, however short period of time looking back, do you have a sense of that where the balance is between sticking with something long enough to, to really see how it's going to fit eventually or if we need to go another route? Well, and I know Celeste might be able to speak to this a little better as she's been with Colby longer than I have. Um, and I can speak more to my own experience being homeschooled in high school. You know, I hated math. I hated math. And it was because I had very poor instructors in middle school. And I had to do two different curriculums of math in high school every year. And I was thinking, as you were talking about, you know, what I had said in a previous episode, you know, what if my mom had switched 
curriculums just because I had complained about not liking Saxon. I would not be as good as I am at math today. Now, now I'm not a mathematician. However, I would not be as solid in my math skills if my mom had kept changing it every year in high school based upon my complaints. You know, it was, and then that's kind of how life is, right? There are so many learning experiences that, whether it's learning new skills for a job or just things that happen that don't feel good, that aren't emotionally rewarding, you know, in, in the sense, but the Lord is something to teach us in those things. And we're supposed to grow through those things. So I think especially when it comes back to, you know, taking it back to realistic practicals of choosing curriculum, giving it enough time to really see if maybe it is an uncomfortable curriculum for your student, for whatever reason, they're just maybe not meshing at first, to give it enough time to really see, is it the curriculum? Is it just, it's hard because it's a hard curriculum and your student still needs to learn? Or is it, let's just try to make a switch to see if it can have a better learning experience for your student. And I think that's where there is no easy answer. So Celeste, I don't know if you have feedback on that. I mean, it's just, it's kind of a, you know, you have to really work with the parents to figure out what works with the student and, and when a switch is necessary. So I'll come in and, and, and not deliberately, but I mean, this is really my philosophy. It's actually very different than, than yours, which is one of the things I love about Colby. We have multiple mm-hmm. advisors and we all think about these things differently which which speaks to the fact that the parents are the primary educators and they can ask us for our input and then they make the best choice but I tell parents all the time high school is very finite uh, it's like you get a certain amount of of money in credits right kids have to earn credits so when parents tell me that they push their students through so that all options are open, I respond and say, you know how sports teams win? They focus on what they do well. They do not spend time. Shaquille O'Neal did not spend 90% of his time trying to learn to make free throws because he, he never could. So, but <laughs> when you're seven, two or four, or however tall he is, well, he had some other advantages. But I tell parents, look, and I'm, and I'm going to pick math, Ashley, because you said that, I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, I I had to get through uh, college algebra one to graduate. And so I did. That was it. I was done. But if a student has a good idea of where they're being called to, I like them to focus in that area, to do what they have to do to make themselves um, a good candidate for what they're going to do after high school. And in most cases, that's taking at least, you know, three years of math. But all subjects are not going to be equal for them. And so I like mm-hmm. students, uh, particularly in 11th and 12th, to focus on their strengths. But I think that advice is really good, though, Celeste, because, you know, you're setting them up, especially in those grades, for success in college, right? To really explore, if you're going to go to college, you know, there's always that fear of, I have to know what I'm doing before I start. And yes, there is that you don't want to, you know, spend all this money and time on classes mm-hmm. you're not going to use, but at the same time, to take time to really dig into what it is brings your heart alive, you know, yeah. and, and it brings you that joy and you feel like you are that um, Saint quote, Saint Irenaeus. The glory of God is man fully alive and man, every, I think the second part is not quoted as often, but man fully alive is the glory of God, you know, and just like, what is that thing that gives you that full life that to really give glory back to God? It's, it's always that balance though, right? There's not always a right, a right or wrong answer. It's really like discernment. We you know what does your student need? 
we advise parents to do what they, they think is the best option for their for each individual student. And I know that for some parents, my philosophy makes them intensely uncomfortable, and they they want something that's more laid out, you know, step by step that they can follow. And I'm like, oh, just do whatever you want. You know, it's all good. <laughs> I've gotten such so much great advice from you, Celeste, over the years. I feel like every year I need a repeat of your explanation of why we do things we don't want to do. Like why why do we have to do things that are hard and why do we have to learn this if we're not really interested in it? I think I could always use a refresher on that that lesson every year. Hear it again. (laughs) Well, I I should record that and listen to it myself. We all can listen. It's good for me to hear some of these things. I have a child who's new to Colby honors course in in 10th grade. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's certainly taking of of all of his courses, it's taking the most time. But, you know, so my wife and I are thinking, oh, boy, we uh, maybe we just pushed him too hard. But he's like, no, I'm you know, he's stressed at times because he really wants to do well. But he's loving it. Yeah. So there's that stress level. But, you know, if it was just my wife and I without kind of interacting with my son and getting his feedback, we'd just be like, no, you just go back and we'll take it down. So kind of the, the opposite of what I'm used to, what what I would have been like, right? Well, it's hard. I don't want to do it. Uh, and it's, it's like, well, mm-hmm. he's different. Then. Yeah. Rising to it. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Getting to the heart of it, right? What What is the real uh, resistance? Is it your, the student really isn't comprehending the content and so it needs to have a different delivery of for the content to be learned or is it I just don't want to learn this subject period mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what's really getting the heart of it at you know yeah it can be hard one of the difficulties I have is I'm hoping to give them this well-rounded education but then what they're interested in is a reflection of how God made them and how he's calling them to serve and in the other areas that they will need practically speaking these are the things that this is part of life that we have to <laughs> things that we have to do sometimes, but we I don't offer know. it up stars in your crown. I mean, and that's for us, that's what working life is like as adults. And so I do think that's an important lesson for kids to pick up on when they're younger is that there will always be things. Doesn't that go back to, there's that book by, I think it's Angela Duxworth about grit and that, you know, unique mix of uh, passion and persistence. And a person who has grit can really get through and accomplish most things that they need to accomplish. And how, and I think that speaks to what you're talking about, Celeste, when you are training your children to do hard things, to do difficult things that we don't want to do, but that we need to do for future life skills to, to be a productive member of society and to be a full living person um, that God created us to be. It's that grit, right? And I, I mean, I go back to when I was homeschooled and I think I can do that. I can, I can do two mass every year in high school. I can do anything, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. and it's true. And that's something that true grit and that ability to kind of dig deep and do the things that you're called to do, even when it's difficult, is something that cannot be taken away from your child mm-hmm. or from you if you have that as an adult. So it's such a beautiful thing to foster, especially at a young age when you're homeschooling. That's lovely. Mm-hmm. You get that balance just of what you were just saying there, that, that it brings everything kind of together, like Celeste, where you're saying that grit was getting through those math classes that you had to get through. But yet it's it's also then the sign that likely that's not the path as you were talking about, Bonnie, that God has created for 
for you for your salvation. So yes, you've got to do it. It's the cross you have to, <laughs> to bear at that point. But then you can turn your eyes to okay, well, this is what I love, and this is this is the direction I want to go. These are the areas. So it's, it's yeah, that's just great. That's one of the lessons that the grit. We don't just we can't just hand over the grit. We have to acquire the grit, right? So that's one of the ways. We yes. Have. Yes. 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 It's like those virtues, right? <laughs> we have to practice them. We don't just get granted humility or. Right. <laughs> Okay. You know, patience, we get opportunities to practice them. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, let's talk about some practical ways we can make some minor or not so minor course adjustments as the school year progresses. Ashley, when we were working on episode 66, you made a comment about time blocking that caught my attention. And I wanted to come back and ask you some more questions about it. And I thought that might be one way we might consider if we are looking to make some minor adjustments to the way we're approaching school, life, whatever, at this point in the semester, at any point, really, tell me about time blocking. I, you know, there was a point when I was working three or four different jobs, going to school, all of these things, and I didn't write anything down. It was all in my head. And luckily, that didn't backfire. <laughs> However, it very quickly can when we become too stressed and we just can't access that thinking part of our brain. And, you know, so it's important in general too, in, in the world of technology, if we have a schedule that can be accessed by members of our family and by ourselves, when we just can't think anymore to look at our schedule and think, what do I need to be doing? Especially for students at Colby. And it's actually, I took over a homeroom eight class this year so our eighth graders, I, I love being in homeroom with them. It's kind of the joy. You know, that's not something that is building necessarily grit in my life because it's a joy to be with them. But we talk a lot about time management. What does it look like? You know, how do you succeed uh, as a student at Colby? And I think one of those things that we can start doing with students from a very you know, younger age is to help them understand how to manage time, right? Because we only have so much time and we really don't know how much time, you know, we have. And to spend it wisely and to use it prudently is something that if we can learn from a young age and carry with us through life, I think is it leads to a rewarding experience as an adult, right? And it's not even about control, I think, of time. It's really just, you know, God has granted me the gift of today. How am I going to best use it to not only meet my responsibilities, whether you're a parent or a student with school, um, but also to fulfill those other desires and um, for relationships and community building or hobbies and things that we love. And so when I look at time blocking, it's really just starting with one day, starting with today. Plot out what time you're going to wake up, what time you need to go to bed. I'm a big sleep person. <laughs> I do so much better when I'm getting seven and a half to eight hours of sleep a day. So that's what I plan my day around, which sounds silly, but it's something that I protect is my sleep and then your prayer time, right? So scheduling in when you're going to wake up, when you're going to go to sleep, and then when you're going to find time to pray, especially right in the morning start of your day. It doesn't have to be long. Um, it can be five, 10 minutes. So I always start with that, sleep, prayer time, and then schedule everything in. So when you're going to eat lunch, when you're going to eat breakfast, eat dinner, my husband and I, we meal plan that way. So every day of the week we have, we're making this meal, this meal, this meal. There's no questions. We can always change it, but at least there's something we have to refer back to. And then you add in all those other responsibilities, right? So as an advisor of two grade levels, for me, it's okay. I need to make sure I'm processing grade reports, you know, at a timely level. So I have to build time into my schedule every week. I'm going to process grade reports on this day for this amount of time. And I time block that in and I protect that time. Mm -hmm. And it also means leaving time open for 
little surprises that happen throughout the day or, you know, meetings that happen and you have to make room for and things like that. But I think when we can create structure and help students to have that structure. So for a student, it might be, you know, scheduling in, I'm going to work on homework for an hour every day at this time. You can change that as you need. And then I started having my students in homeroom eight, then go into that once you have your time block in and start writing out at the beginning of every week, what assignment you're going to work on during those times so that when you get to that time, you know, (laughs) I have to get this done. I have a paper due next week and I have to get an outline done today to make it to my deadline the next week. And then, so then time blocking takes a step farther back out into goal setting, right? So it's all in related to what, what are the goals I need to achieve? What are the small little steps I need to achieve them? How much time do I need to give to those goals? You should know, right? The specific things you need to achieve, how much time, why are you doing them? Are they relating to your life? How are they important? That way you can be on track to achieving goals. And the more you can do that, you have more life fulfillment because you know you're using your time wisely. And I think especially at the start of the school year, I am always pushing parents to have a very strict schedule. And then once you get into that schedule and rhythm, you can see where the ebbs and flows are. I don't need to give this much time to this. Um, And you can make adjustments. And for someone who... I would say that I'm more of a flexible person sometimes. I guess with my schedule, I like to not have a set schedule sometimes. It seems very confining to have to do certain things at certain times, but it is so freeing. I found the complete opposite in having things written down. Because then I can choose, I, I don't need to do that right now because I have time later in the week, or I really need to move this around because there's a new deadline I have to be concerned with. So I think taking that time to really know what it is you have to do every week and write it down and make it time to complete that task is freeing for both parents and students. It just releases that stress of having to wonder when am I going to do it because you already have it down. It seems like most of the really, truly highly productive people that I read about do that sort of thing. They, they block off time for their most important tasks. So they're not the rest of life doesn't creep in and take away their time for those important tasks. And then they schedule them where they're most effective at working. So whether they're a morning person yes. or whatever, yes. and then they take those break things. Like for me, probably it's going through emails and just kind of filtering through, but the students might not have to do that, but maybe it's that household chore, which after two hours of intense homework, that's actually vacation. Uh-huh. And then, you know, so putting that in the, <laughs> the time where it's not necessarily requiring as much focus seems like a, fantastic system for success. Yeah. For years, Colby has had this guidelines for a course of study, and it would indicate for uh, K through eighth grade, how many minutes and how many days of the week a student should spend on a, on a subject. And so kind of like what Ashley was saying, when the school year would start, I would tell parents because they'd call, oh, it took him, you know, two hours to finish the math and it says 20 minutes. And I said, okay, set the timer, do 20 minutes, and then note how much work got accomplished and do that for two weeks and then see. Maybe the amount of work is, is unrealistic, but the idea that you would keep extending the time to accomplish the task, I'm like, that is not a productive way to look at it. You, you have to go with the, you set the time and you see how much you get done. And then you can make better decisions, I think, for your kids from there. 
Yeah. I think we even started doing that as advisors a little bit, mm-hmm. Celeste, right? With Pomodoro method where we have that timer for 25 minutes. We're working on a task. Yeah. Timer goes off. You stop that task. See how much you got done. Yeah. It's really helpful. Mm-hmm. It really helps you see what you're capable of and where you're distracted and what's causing mm-hmm. those distractions. And then are those distractions you should be focusing on? Are they needed? Or can you wait to deal with those a little bit later? Yep. It's very insightful once you start tracking time, when you see where it goes, <laughs> you realize you have a lot more time than we think we do, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I love time tracking and I've done it myself for years. You know, I, I love the business author, Peter Drucker, and that was always his advice mm. is know thy time. So I think I've mentioned this before, but I mean, I use a, a, a computer system for that, but it's an essential to, to do what you're doing there. I love that. Seems like the task will expand to fit the time, right? Going back to you saying yes. it's, that's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna take as long as you'll give it, right? And if we don't set right. some parameters on that, let's see that, yeah, happening here for sure. Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges we see with Colby families is that all, all the things we're talking about are useful and can help um, really make the experience more positive. But we, we run into some difficulties when we start talking about students taking online classes because the teacher and Colby as a whole are setting the time limits for the classes as opposed to the parent who might say we're in the middle of a lesson and oh you you really need to spend more time on this or oh you already got that so let's move on so it's more organized um, in a structured way that can't really be amended and that's a, a big challenge I think Stephen and Bonnie you both have kids in online classes so you know what I'm talking about it's it's challenging for them. Those become the anchor points, right? Where you, you can't yes. flex those and the deadlines are, are not flexible. So there's right. always that danger of everything else gets dropped to focus on yes. this one one course, which of course isn't what's intent. Yeah. We're finding that this year too. Something that I think has worked for families is if the student sets aside that same time every day for that subject, whatever time they're in class. And it doesn't always work because sometimes they have a different class, you know, at the on a different day. But that's one of the things that I I know has helped in some cases. And the other part of it is just that lesson we all learned when we went to college. Oh, I'm only in class one day a week. Oh, I didn't do any work since I was here last week. <laughs> um <laughs> So that that's a pretty common one, I think, for these kids. It's really teaching them time management, and without a really without a plan or without a schedule, they just struggle a lot. Mm-hmm. We've been tinkering with a block schedule approach here at our house, trying to fit in the homeschool courses. We just took a look at what's left. What are you not taking online? Let's break those into two blocks. You know, so. We're going to do these two homeschool subjects this, these two days of the week, these other two homeschool subjects these other two days of the week. And I find them kind of like shifting every day. Well, let's move that to this day. Well, let's move that to this day. So I'm still sort of in that trying it out phase, but I don't know. I'm, I have high hopes. But <laughs> It's hard because most of us are uh, attention span. We know from many, many studies that there's that like 20 minute thing and everybody kind of checks out for a minute and then they, then they check back in usually and sometimes we don't. So, um, is that the thinking with the Pomodoro? That's the, uh, 
That's the one with the tomato timer, right? Do you have to have a tomato yep. timer in order to do the Pomodoro method? A prerequisite. There's some okay. really great apps where you can, you don't have to have that oh, tomato timer. Hold on for that. <laughs> I think it's really crucial that parents who are in that role as the primary educator understand their own uh, preferences about these things and their own strengths and weaknesses, as well as their child's, because sometimes they're not the same. They don't mesh well. And you have to decide, well, for this subject, is it better if we do what the student wants or is it better we do what the parent wants? You know, I mean, those are those are tensions that teachers in classrooms don't have to deal with. I'm sorry, they talk about, you know, teaching to the student. I'm like, right. You have 25 <laughs> students. You're going to teach how you want to teach because it's easiest for you. That's human nature. But I think figuring that that out about the parent and the student and like the one thing I know about myself and I've been helping my daughter homeschool the grandkids is, you know, it gets down to the wire on something. And then I have a lot more clarity about what they should do. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it yeah. we, we didn't get quite where I thought we would. Okay, let's skip this, 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 and this. And let's do that one. That's the most important. It's it's not ideal. And, and a couple of them are okay with that. And some of them are like, but you said, and here's the schedule. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Comes to bite you. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah, that I have to get my daughter involved because she's like that. So I'm like, okay, you talk to this one. I'll talk to these that are like, let's fly by the seat of our pants and see what happens. Okay, good. Let's do that. You know, that really goes to your point, though. Know your student, yeah. right? Know your audience, know what they need, know how they work best, know their experience, and, and speak to that and help them in that. And then when it can't, you do your best to get right. done whatever has to That's get done. Right. It makes me think of one of the, the situations with teenage boys and knowing your student. And I, I just think of myself how poorly I do, as you were saying earlier, Ashley, with a lack of sleep. I don't function particularly well. And if I'm hungry, I don't function particularly well. And I was dealing with a teenage boy at one point where we were kind of speaking with their parents. And it's like, he's just sleeping all the time and doing these things. It's like, well, he grew seven inches in the last six months. So, um, exactly. Yes. Let's relax a little bit. <laughs> they need that sleep. Yeah, lower expectations. <laughs> and expect that you're not going to get that focus all the time, too. But, but yeah, do what you can, of course. Exactly. Well, and just being exhausted from being online tech. You know, our minds need to not be on a screen sometimes, and it's okay. I mean, I find myself taking naps too sometimes on my lunch break. I'm like, I just want to take uh-huh. a nap, give my eyes a break, you know. And I think knowing what it is you need and being able to provide that at that time is important without having those expectations that are just sometimes unrealistic. Gotta rest your eyes a bit. That's what we call that. How we kind of mm-hmm. sell that um cat nap. Just gotta rest your eyes a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> rest your eyes. I like yeah. that. I'm gonna start using that. <laughs> Feel free. <laughs> oh so too that might be it's one of the unexpected things people are discovering if this is their first year homeschooling. How much we learn about ourselves when when we are um, taking on school at home, however whatever that looks like mm-hmm. for the family. However, when we are in close proximity with our children more so than when they are going to school mm-hmm. elsewhere. So uh, one of the things we might be picking up on are some special needs that we were not as aware of, or maybe were, but maybe are seeing in a different light or in greater detail. So 
So Les, can we talk for a few minutes about some considerations for special needs online and at home that we might be picking up on at this point and what we can do? Colby does offer accommodations. Uh, they're limited, but we do offer some in the online classes. And, and some things that parents and students might need to do in an online class, we don't even consider accommodations. I mean, they're perfectly fine. That would be um, using a, a talk-to-text feature for a student, you know, trying to take notes. Um, that technology is just so much more accessible and common now than it than it used to be um, having a scribe uh, I've had students the parents will ask you know is it okay if I verbally read my student the questions on the exam and then scribe their answers yes that's that's fine that's that falls within to you know within an acceptable like I said, it's not even technically an accommodation. We just allow it. But there are some difficulties, some situations where it really uh, isn't the best fit to do something that's online with really hard deadlines. Um, and But for some of those students, what has worked is for them to move to audit status so that all the work that they turn in on time is graded by the instructor. But the parents still retain their role as primary educators. So the parents are still making the decision. The teacher gives the assignment, and the parent can assess that student in that class and all their other classes and say, you know, this week your brother's getting married. So we're not going to do that assignment, or we're not going to do it in its entirety. And that's perfectly fine because the grade for an auditing student in an online class is still given uh, by the parent. But it's a great opportunity for the student to be an active participant in the class. As I said, everything they turn in on time is graded by the instructor. And so when we first started the online classes, we didn't really anticipate that there would be any audit situations but I thought I audited classes in college that was that was something you could do and so um, it's still not super common but it has been a great benefit to some families when their kids have special needs and they want them to start getting used to it and then a lot of times the next year that student will take the live class not auditing because they know what to expect and they're able to be more successful. You know, in the homeschool environment, it says right on every course plan Colby produces that parents are free to alter it any way they wish, as long as they're not looking for uh, an honors designation or the Colby, you know, K designation that says they completed it uh, exactly as written. And so that's a lot of times where parents then want to call the advisor and talk about, okay, I know what this says, but what does this mean? What do you mean I can change whatever I want? <laughs> like, well, you can change whatever you want. And so they, they need some guidance. It's like, okay, well, why don't you cut out some of the questions on the exam? Or maybe the essay isn't written as part of the exam. Maybe the essay is written at a, a different day. You know, maybe the essay is not timed in the same way. I mean, these are all things that can be done with no problem. If those students were in a brick and mortar school and they had an IEP or a 504, those are all things that would happen. And so when students are being homeschooled, 
I think it's really important for parents to realize that they can exercise that discretion. In high school, they do have to make sure that the content of the curriculum is high school level. And uh, that's something that I've enjoyed helping families with for years is um, modifying Colby curriculum or maybe finding some other options that, that we don't carry that are designed specifically for students who might be dyslexic or something like that. Okay. And dyslexia being the most, what, like 80% of all diagnosed learning disorders in this country are dyslexia. Um, but I do remember telling my class one time, I said, you know, if you'd all been born a hundred years ago, you wouldn't have dyslexia. And they, they didn't know what I meant. And I said, well, <laughs> it wasn't diagnosed then. So, mm -hmm. you know, and, and let's face it, our world was different, um, especially for men. They got out of school and they, they got a job or they worked on their farm or they worked in their family business. And so the issues they might have come up against with dyslexia weren't weren't like they are now. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's important to keep that kind of perspective in mind too. <laughs> the fact that I have to wear glasses and if I'd been born, you know, 200 years ago, I would just, I would have had a very different life because I wouldn't have had the assistive technology that I need. And so as we continue to develop more technologies that help people who have a physical issue or a, a learning, you know, a learning issue, then it's going to get more and more normalized all the time because you can be successful and, and with this, you know, this accommodation. I would imagine for many parents, that idea, like you were saying, of making those adjustments is kind of a scary thing. So um, right. knowing what's, yeah, kind of, because you want what's best for your child and you want to make sure you're taking advantage of of everything that the rich curriculum has to offer, yes. but does it ruin it in some way if I do this or that? So I'm, I'm glad that there are you advisors there to, to, to be there for the parents to kind of be a sounding board or to give them advice or suggestion for that. And sometimes it's pretty simple. Greek literature, well, they need to read the Odyssey. We plan at taking a quarter. If you need a semester, you take a semester, but you need to read the Odyssey. And then maybe you watch a good uh, film adaptation of it, or want something a little different, like Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, which is clearly a retelling of the Odyssey. I do always tell parents they need to preview anything. <laughs> I, I take no <laughs> no responsibility for that if you want to, you know, but, but it's important to understand that Colby's material, it is about the, the Western canon. And so you want them to be able to make those references. Like somebody said to me, one of our fellow employees at Colby said the other day, you know, I feel a bit like Cassandra. And I thought, I just love that, that I know what she meant, but I learned it in college. <laughs> um, so yeah, when we help them modify the curriculum, uh, we still want to retain the flavor of what it is. I think it's definitely a concern I've had because if I if I tweak it somehow, am I going to miss something? Right? Like, are they going to miss something? Am I going to be? Uh, so yeah. be ruined for life, Bonnie. Right. That's the problem. <laughs> right. No, that's it. It's just all over. <laughs> I know, and and the thing is, I love that parents have that kind of concern. I mean, 
it's it's important you know we can talk about the fact that that teachers care about their students i've been a classroom teacher for a long time but they're not your children and so that that sense of responsibility is different when you're a parent your biggest fear is that you're going to ruin your kid's life and you know then they turn 18, move out of the house, get married, you think, oh, I'm done. It's all over. But it's not. <laughs> nope. nope. <laughs> Goes on and on. But I think this is where we have to remember that God's grace covers all of this. And we pray. We want the children to pray, um, especially encouraging them to connect with their patron saints, their guardian angel, you know, those kinds of things. That makes a difference, and we have to remember that, that um, God loves our children more than we do, and his plan might be something that we can't even possibly imagine or, 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 and would never think of on our own in any way, but, you know, kids find their way. Yeah, yeah the family is such a beautiful environment for that. I- I'm a convert, but one of the greatest experiences is kind of raising my children and realizing how badly I can mess up at times, you know, how, you know, just completely blow it. And, but you can turn around and you can ask for forgiveness. And in that situation is where I see it, both where you see the worst of people, um, because there's not, not the same filter, but then that complete willingness to forgive. And I, I don't find that in most other places where, after having blown it, we're back again as close as close, if not closer than after that than ever before. And for our Colby families who do have their kids at home, there's there's more of those experiences possible, I guess. Yeah. Chances for <laughs> failure and for reconciliation. Right. Ashley, do you have things to add to that with special needs considerations for the younger students since you work more closely down in the, the younger grades? Yeah, so I work with more of the, our online students for those online accommodations. We do have another advisor who does specific things with homeschooling. But it is, I think it goes back to what Celeste was saying, is, is those modifications when you're homeschooling, you know, the traditional school-at-home courses, um, even some of the self-paced courses that you are, the parent is still the teacher of that course at home, so they can decide how to modify the curriculum as they need. Um, which is a really freeing thing. It also can be very fearful, but even just like the small tweaks, you know, I, I talked to a mom not too long ago about the student had, you know, difficulty just doing handwriting and vocabulary, spelling, doing tests like that. And it was just became, don't have them write the spelling test, just have them spell the word orally to you. Mm-hmm. And just that simple, <laughs> simple change really made the difference. And it's just, think sometimes talking to someone and getting that out of the box idea because it is something that you know maybe as Celeste was saying we would never think that it's not how our brains think it's not how we would function but hearing from someone else an idea of what worked for someone else or uh, of how we can modify things change things up can really just make learning more enjoyable and a little bit easier for your student and realizing I think there's also that stigma of like a special need I kind of refer to it as like a student learning it's just a student learning need and we're all individual learners we have our unique ways of learning things understanding some of us need to write down everything before it sinks in some of us needs to see it and that's just our unique 
student learning needs and just knowing what those are and being able to tweak things that we can really makes a difference. I think the first step is just not being afraid to have that conversation and reach out to an advisor. And I think also um, the past two years of a lot of families starting to homeschool, you see more of my student was an A student. Now they're not. And yes, they may have received A's, but it doesn't mean that they were actually learning content in the school that they were previously at. And I think the the way that education has been forced to change in, in ways that a lot of schools weren't ready for over the past two years, we're really seeing more of that and being okay with my student might have to do last year's math over again because they just didn't get it last year. And that's okay. But being okay to make that decision and um, being humbled by it is the first step. And ultimately, it's all about student success. What's going to help set the student up for a great future of, of being rooted in their their basic foundation of knowledge? I think sometimes that's the big thing is seeing that long-term sort of goal, which I think is hard when, I mean, especially coming from a, a maybe a brick and mortar school where you're supposed to be doing these things at this grade level and there's a stigma to being held back a year. So you don't want to do that to your child. But when you're homeschooling, you shouldn't have to worry about that same stigma. It's you're, you're looking for the long-term goals. So I, I mean, in our family, I know my children are always very slow readers. So, you know, when they're in second grade, they're barely reading, maybe even third grade. By sixth grade, though, they're just devouring everything. You know, and we could fight it. We could make them do hours and hours, but it's nice to kind of know that, oh, no, we don't have to worry about this now. We'll keep working on it, but we want them to be successful down the road. As an adult, we're building towards that. We don't have to achieve everything right according to somebody's set schedule. So I really, I really like that perspective. Or the whole forcing the, the young fourth, fifth, sixth grade boys to do handwriting every day because they hate it and they're not good at it. You know, I think that's one of those things where it's an easy switch. Maybe let's do that once a week <laughs> instead of forcing them to do it every day or change curriculums. You know, that's one of those things that's don't don't force the things that can be easily changed, like Celeste was saying from before. Handwriting without you tears know. has been the salvation of many yes. a young boy. <laughs> yes. yes. And, yep. and there's lots of other things they can do to develop their pincher grip and things. It doesn't have to be handwriting per se. It's one of the neat things, you know, I, I know as an advisor, I, I regularly go to Ashley and the other advisors for input on things because we do all think about it differently. And the ideas I get from parents, oh my gosh, you know, I could fill notebooks like, oh, wow, that's great. And then, then I share it with another parent and they're like, oh, that's such a good idea. I'm like, yeah, well, it's not mine. <laughs> I got it from a parent, you know, <laughs> and I'm sharing it with you because I liked it. I think we have the space available to us in this home setting to be able to draw upon the tools that are being developed, the assistive technologies and the strategies that are put into place through some of the um, documentation in the brick and mortar schools that we can draw upon those in all kinds of ways. And one of the ways I'm thinking of is this concept of executive function, which I think is probably not a new idea, but I sure do hear it a lot. So Celeste, would you explain for us executive function? 
So I think the first time I even heard this term was uh, probably about uh, 2011. And I'd gone to work at this small uh, private Christian school where every student had dyslexia and then other issues. Uh, several of the other teachers started talking about executive function and I'm thinking, I think I'm missing something because <laughs> I had been out of the classroom a couple years and so suddenly, so what I really appreciate, I guess, maybe uh, about executive function, ab about the understanding of it, is that it's not a diagnosis the way ADD might be. It's more just a, a general term that covers a lot of things. A lot of individuals who have ADD or ADHD might also have executive function issues, but they're not interchangeable. Um, you know, executive functioning is is broader than that. It's more about how well can a student access, they might have a skill, how well can they access it at the time they need to access it? So, you know, how's their working memory? How are they at some of the things we already talked about, about planning and organizing and time management, um, things that, that could be considered life skills that anyone could benefit from. And of course, now sometimes they're called things like adulting. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's just <laughs> life skills, but it makes sense. But it's a little bit of a broad umbrella because it it also has to do with things like um, self-regulation and being able to, um, as you talked about earlier, Ashley, to be persistent, you know, that those those necessary components that help us become successful in whatever we do. Some of it is innate, but some of it can still be learned. But those kinds of things fall into what we now consider to be executive functioning. I mean, can students wait their turn in a game? Can they take initiative on things? Do they have any sort of sense of uh, flexibility about things? It's, it's incredibly broad which is why it's nice that they don't narrow it down and say this is a diagnosis. But I I think what tends to happen for students as they get older and they get more work is when this becomes evident that there might be an issue. They're smart kids. They know the answers to things, but they can't maybe access that at the time that they're called upon. Uh, they don't know how to prioritize. You know, these 10 things need to be done. Okay, and they're all like equally important when cl clearly they're not, you know, equally important or they don't uh, require the same amount of time. So it, like I say, it's. It, I think at first there was a lot of saying, oh, well, that's just another way of referring to ADHD or ADD, but it's it's not. And I know you've spent a lot of time on this body and became kind of an expert on it and I, mean, I don't know about that not expert <laughs> I tend to I think I've distilled it in my mind I think probably to the detriment of everyone I have distilled it down in my mind to the space between here's a task that needs to get done and the task is done now so I tend to focus more on those areas than 
where the emotional regulation and that those dimensions, I think, but those are equally important and they factor into the execution of the tasks, which I think is where the term comes from, right? It's the executing function. Intelligence, smartness, intelligence does not equal the tasks getting done. And I think that has been the narrative for a long time. Not that I've been told directly, but it's like a out. It's just out there. Like, oh, you're so smart. How come you can't turn in your homework or whatever? I mean, and those are different. And yes. to be able to separate those out, I think, has been sort of revelatory to okay. Well, there's a whole lot that happens to get to that point, and the intelligence mm-hmm. dimension is not the determining factor there. So, no, I think one of the primary factors is that emotional regulation. It's that ability to tolerate the frustration of doing something that you don't want to do, you don't feel you're good at, you know, those, those kinds of things. And so it, it is sort of related to delayed gratification in the sense that you can understand, well, if I finish this thing I don't want to do, then I can do this thing I do want to do. But that, um, you know, frustration factor, that being able to stick with it, persistence, um, that's the toughie. Uh, right. You can be super smart. And if you can't stick it out, it, it's a tough road to hoe. And and there are, you know, there are times when children have perfectly valid reasons for not finishing something on time or not sticking with the deadline. But they really have to have that sense of that time is important and what can they do so it's the organizing the planning and understanding how to break it all into little teeny tiny steps not so tiny that they go well I'll never get it done now because there's you know 10 steps to brushing my teeth properly but enough steps that they go okay this and then this and then this and and getting a sense of accomplishment from each each one of those um but, you know, all kids can benefit. Most adults, we could all benefit from better time management skills, better organization sure. and planning, all of those things. But I do sometimes wonder if it's just a factor of our culture that we don't, we don't promote that kind of independent learning. Unfortunately, most schools function in a way that there really isn't another way for them to do it. Things have to be, you know, the bell rings and this happens and then this happens and we're doing this subject now. And so all of the, all of the scheduling is done for them and they don't get to exercise any independent judgment, which can involve lots of failures, you know, (laughs) well, you tried that and it, it didn't work at all. (laughs) Um, But I think this is something else that homeschooling offers is a, a chance for children to, you know, to expand their own opportunities to make decisions for themselves, to demonstrate that they can manage their time. There are so many fun ways to build those skills, mm-hmm. right? Like it doesn't have to be, you know, for me, I love time management now and goal setting, but it could be like playing games. Mm-hmm. Card games, Duck, Duck, Goose, um, like fantasy games where you have to hold a lot of like working memory and remember, mm-hmm. like especially like Lord of the Rings games or things like that. Um, there's just so many fun ways to do that. That doesn't have to be, right. 
this time to build executive functioning right. skills. You know, like mm-hmm. it can be so fun and, and finding ways in sports, mm-hmm. playing instruments, all those things that I think kind of go to the wayside with technology when we lose that lore for hobbies, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one program mm-hmm. I used at that school it's a, an online subscription called Lumosity, and it's a brain training. And um, it was interesting because I had junior high boys who played lots of video games at their houses and who couldn't believe I was making them do this lame thing. And I'm like, well, here's the deal. They just had to do the, the training um, every day. It was five minutes. And for some of them, there was a definite improvement in their ability to mm-hmm. manage certain things. And then the other thing, and I didn't at the time realize it was actually recommended to help with executive functioning issues. It was just something that I was interested in. So we played chess every day until mm. some of them got good enough that they beat me regularly. And then <laughs> I didn't play anymore. Yeah. The first time one of them beat me, I thought, wait, what happened? I was watching the other kids, I guess, and I, I thought, I must have been distracted. And then, you know, he beat me a couple more times. I'm like, okay, you don't need to play against me anymore. <laughs> um, You're a great instructor, yeah, Celeste. Yeah. But it, it was a good, chess really made them slow down and think through their moves. And they all thought people that played chess were smart. That was an across-the-board perception well, we can't play chess, you know, we're dyslexic, or we have this, and executive functioning, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, you can play. And so as they got better, uh, I think that made a difference in how they felt about themselves. And so that was kind of nice to see, you know. But yeah, all those things Ashley mentioned, and all of those things, there's fun ways to, to improve this, and they wouldn't even really know what they were doing, you know. That's true. That's a good reminder. That's certainly a good strategy to make more palatable. I I tend to look at things, you know, breaking tasks into smaller chunks and making things kind of routinized, like this is, we do this at this time and this at that time, or uh, making a habit of taking a a look at what's ahead for a certain amount of time and trying to back up from there what's due when. But I certainly like the the idea of, of building up those skills without it being as overt like this is what we're doing now we're building skills now you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) can be as simple as playing with like quiet books you know or matching games Mm -hmm. you know things like that i spy yep yeah good good you took us right back to grit and resiliency too it's so true the persistence in working through these challenges whatever they are we all have them we acquire the grit that way and there's so many things we hope for our children coming out of our homes going on to their adult lives for them to be able to deal with adversity, it's huge. They're going to have to. That's a given. <laughs> right? yeah. And for them to be self-confident in doing it, mm-hmm. you know, to trust that they know how to navigate. Yep. And they, they can always come back and ask you. Yep, absolutely. Right. We have a wonderful resource and all of you advisors and faculty and administration. It's been a great conversation, as always. I always enjoy visiting with all of you. Thank you so much for, for coming back to visit and come back soon, please. Thanks. It was fun. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having us.
If you haven't already, subscribe to the Colby Cast in your favorite podcast app for effortless episode delivery. And we'd love to hear from you, so drop us a line at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.